Oh, New York ain't New York anymore. How I miss those old pals of mine. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape! What does Hollywood get right and wrong about yesterday? Hello, history lovers, and happy Halloween! I'm your host, Dean Carianis, and this is the History Author Show on iHeartRadio. You can find me at historyauthor.com or across social media platforms. Plus, you can read my columns in the New York Sun at newyorksun.com to get my analysis of current events through the lens of what I've learned from all the books I've read and historians I've interviewed since starting this program back in 2015. That sounds like quite a while ago to me, and I've managed to put together about 250 interviews so far, and I hope that you've found one that's told you something you didn't know about the past and maybe put you on a pathway to living a better future. Something special this week for the season of Pumpkins and Ghosts. Instead of an interview, I'm going to roll the audio from a feature on my YouTube channel. It's called History Author Showtime. And those of you who are subscribed there probably have seen the couple that I've already published just kind of on the down low, seeing what kind of response that they would get from all of you out there on the internet and within the sound of my voice on the radio, podcasting from all those various outlets. I honestly couldn't tell you all the places that this show is available. And it's nice to see that people who run aggregators like what they hear and are willing to put it out there so that we can grow by leaps and bounds and new people can find this show all the time and enjoy the guests that I bring you. I'm presenting a historical background today. It's of the 1975 movie, The Legend of Lizzie Borden, starring Elizabeth Montgomery. And you may remember her as Samantha Stevens from Bewitched. At least I hope you do, because that means you're about the same age as me, and you love that show, and you loved Samantha, and you loved the beautiful and talented Elizabeth Montgomery. I often ask authors what they think of film and TV portrayals of the past while we're speaking about their books. And I thought about what I could do with those so that I pluck those out and I highlight them a little bit. And so this week I decided to pull some sound bites from author Cara Robertson. I interviewed her about her book, The Trial of Lizzie Borden. And she said that The Legend of Lizzie Borden was her favorite portrayal of this tried but not convicted alleged murderess. And that was a surprise to me. There have been so many big Hollywood productions about Lizzie Borden. And she liked that. And she also liked The Simpsons, by the way, which was amusing to me. The, the portrayal of her there is the forewoman of the Jury of the Damned in one of those episodes. Since this is a film review and film is a visual medium, you may want to go check this episode out on that YouTube channel. This is something of a plug here for that YouTube channel. I will admit it. And honestly, it makes me a little uncomfortable because I don't like to look at any of you as customers. I don't like to sell my things and push myself too much. 
Probably I'd be much bigger if I was just a complete and total sellout, honestly, who was hashtagging all over the place and constantly doing plugs. But that's just not the way that I choose to do this program. It's about the history. It's about being respectful to all of you as listeners and to all the people, the real people that we're speaking about in the past. To find that link to the YouTube video, you can go to historyauthor.com. I made a page for this episode, as I do every week. And you can also just type History Author Show into the YouTube navigation bar, navigate to my channel from there. If you like what you see, some of these documentary-style interviews that I do that I like to produce up with some old photos of the past, it's what they say, right? You can't complain if you don't go do it yourself. And I really miss the days of the History Channel in the very beginning. And so since I have experience in TV, I started to make my own. Hopefully people out there will enjoy them. But if I don't tell all of you about them, nobody will know about them. So I figured I had to come and do this this week to let all of you know that this channel does exist and see what you think of things like this breakdown. I call it History Author Showtime, and I thought that that was a clever name. If I do say so myself, I am a writer. I should be able to give it a catchy name. I've done two previous breakdowns. The first was of AMC's The Americans. And in that one, I took some clips from KGB agent, former KGB agent, Jack Barsky. I interviewed him about his book, Deep Undercover, My Secret Life and Tangled Allegiances as a KGB Spy in America. Jack Barsky is such a fascinating guy, probably the most fascinating that I've interviewed. And that's not a slight to any of my other guests, but just the incredible life and transformation that he has had. Mr. Barsky, in addition to being a spy, in addition to being a computer guy, in addition to being a new American citizen, somebody who helped the FBI after he was caught and they figured out that he was not in fact the original Jack Barsky, that he was living under a, a name that he had stolen. He's done so many things and he's contributed so openly about his experiences and he helps to bring some realism to the Americans. His insights played a role in making that trip back to the final decade of the Cold War so realistic. He had a cameo in the show on AMC, and I cover that in that interview. And I went back and forth with him a little bit so that I made sure that that breakdown was as accurate and insightful as possible. In another installment of History Author Showtime, I covered The Dummy, which is a 1962 episode of The Twilight Zone. And Serling who is author of As I Knew Him, my dad, Rod Serling, had a surprising and amusing recollection of the infamous ventriloquist dummy that was used in that show. And it was just so amusing to me and made me look at that episode in a whole new way. And I do love my Twilight Zone that I just had to share it with all of you. I had to highlight it and started to think about how I might be able to do that. And this is the idea that came to me. I really hope you do enjoy watching this episode. If you do go watch it or just listening to it here, I have over 250 interviews now in our archives, which sounds stunning. Each interview requires a lot of work, a lot of effort, especially the ones I go and produce up into those documentary style videos. And while I love radio, I am trying to grow my YouTube channel as that's just one of the ways people consume content here in 2022. For example, although they're audio only interviews, my conversations with Carol Robertson about the trial of Lizzie Borden and with Ann Serling about As I Knew Him, my dad, Rod Serling, are the second and third most viewed episodes I have on YouTube. 
They have 5,800 and 4,200 plays respectively. And considering that this is a radio medium and I don't plug that channel a whole lot, those are pretty impressive numbers. And I thank everybody who takes the time to go and click on interviews like that and wants to just listen to them there through YouTube. I'll still be bringing you interviews, so don't worry about that. But if you don't grow, you tend to stagnate. And so I'm going to look for items like this that I can produce in the months ahead. And I may even explore some of the historical topics that I dig into in my New York Sun columns. I get a lot of great feedback on those from things that I just assume everybody knows about past historical figures. And I think everybody is looking at President Biden, for example, and thinking about James Buchanan and the parallels there and people don't think of that. They say, wow, I never knew that about him, even very learned people. And that's always a feather in my cap. By the way, in the column I wrote about that parallel, I was very happy to have Tom Belserski, who wrote the book Bosom Friends on James Buchanan and Vice President King, who was his possibly paramour. We speculate on that in the interview, but he's an obscure president. And you know me, I love my obscure presidents too. So I was happy to bring that to everybody in that column and I may do some of that in the future. So continue to subscribe, continue to spread the word. Please do check out this YouTube video and my New York Sun columns. You can also catch me occasionally on the radio. I'm doing a lot of new things, I guess, lately, and it's all possible because everybody out there has enjoyed what I have to say and because you're all really smart, insightful, fun people, and I appreciate that so much. If you do enjoy this History Author Showtime and you want to see more of that sort of content, please do subscribe to me at YouTube slash at History Author Show and spread the word. And even if you didn't like it, you can go ahead and subscribe on YouTube and tell me there that you didn't like it. People are free to do that. I don't censor anybody. People like or dislike various things about my interviews, and I'm always glad for the feedback. All right. Now that I've explained the treat you're getting, and hopefully you don't see it as a trick, let's roll the audio for my analysis of The Legend of Lizzie Borden in History Author Showtime. Hello, I'm Dean Carianis, and welcome to History Author Showtime. In this episode, we'll be taking a whack at 1975's made-for-TV movie, the Legend of Lizzie Borden. It stars Elizabeth Montgomery as the infamous, maybe murderous, maybe not. The production racked up a heap of critical praise and a bunch of awards, so it's a good movie. But is it good history? The short answer is yes. But you didn't come here for short answers. You came here for facts. This look back at the past in pop culture examines what the film got right and wrong about yesterday, beyond the nitpicking you can read for yourself at places like IMDb. Items like the three-page letter Montgomery received on the roll from a guy in prison. So pour a glass of bourbon, pop some popcorn, and squeeze into a spot on the living room couch. It's time to warm up the TV set, because darn it, that's something we had to do back in 1975 before we could enjoy ABC's Monday Night Movie. Lizzie Borden has been testified against by generations of children in a nursery rhyme and is continuously reconvicted by the court of public opinion. She's been featured in a whole lot of fictional portrayals, so it's really fun that it's just a simple, modest TV movie 
that gets closest to being right. In real life, a late 19th century all-male jury found Lizzie not guilty, but that's not nearly the same as being declared innocent. Just ask O.J. Simpson or your least favorite impeached United States president. Lizzie, who had longed to be part of high society, if only her miserly father would foot the bill, found herself ostracized after her acquittal. Nobody knew then or now if she killed her father and stepmother, but the stigma seems to have been enough that it dried up invitations to birthday parties, weddings, and those after-work drink parties at axe-throwing restaurants. It may also have cost the film the Golden Globe for Best Picture in 1976 when it lost out to a story with a more traditional plot featuring a more sympathetic, real-life heroine. That was the story of Mildred Ella Babe Didrikson Zaharias, who won two gold medals in track and field at the 1932 Olympics and later became a world champion golfer. That film titled simply Babe, dramatized her battles for acceptance in the world of men's sports, as well as her fight against cancer. Against such odds, Lizzie's double homicide probably never stood a chance, and it's easy to imagine Hollywood executives demanding they sex up the production, but they resisted that push and tried to stick to the facts. Although this movie does feature the first of three nude scenes for Elizabeth Montgomery, something she had previously pledged never to do, but I think she did here because it clearly fit the narrative. It wasn't exploitative or something that was titillating. It really fit what Lizzie Borden might have done, and it offered one possible explanation for why she had no blood on her clothes. Telling a story with so many shades of gray and no clear resolution is a challenge one that required special dedication that I have to salute. Even the title, The Legend of Lizzie Borden, resists the urge to claim that it's a true story. That would be an empty boast. It's one made by the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which was notoriously inaccurate, and one that I covered in another episode of History Author Showtime. Period dramas can be a joy to watch when they're done right. But that requires extensive research and effort to get all the little details of life right. Downton Abbey achieves this to an obsessive degree, with a consultant on set to explain just how the world worked, down to the proper placement of cutlery in the grand dining hall. Fifty years ago, the constraints of cash and the time required for pre-internet research might have made portraying 1892-93 Fall River, Massachusetts, cost-prohibitive. The producers could have just rested on the star power of Elizabeth Montgomery and vomited whatever they wanted onto the screen, using the inconclusive trial as an excuse for playing fast and loose with the facts. Instead, director Paul Wencoast and screenwriter William Bast clearly put the work in required to give as faithful a reproduction as possible. And Elizabeth Montgomery certainly didn't phone in her performance. She worked hard, and the results of their collaboration showed up on all those mid-70s cathode ray tubes. Montgomery immersed herself in the role so deeply that, according to her best friend Liz Sheridan, 
she wants to be called Lizzie even after the filming wrapped. The actress is shown in close-ups for most of the film, and that gives her a chance to really express herself. David L. Pierce, author of the Bewitched History Book, writes that this role was such a departure for Montgomery that she seemed to enjoy a raft of new acting techniques for those moments. He writes, quote, Throughout the movie, the focus of the camera is on Liz's face and seems to focus directly on her eyes, which at times flit about to indicate a certain madness and discomfort that Lizzie Borden would have felt considering she had just committed a horrendous act. At other times, her eyes are vacant, as though Borden was trying to be anywhere but in the terrible moments after her parents' deaths. I was so drawn to that part of the portrayal, because in the Gilded Age, so-called patent medicines like laudanum, which was just flavored varieties of alcohol spiked with opium, were as popular as hard seltzer is today. And they were marketed specifically to high-society women like Lizzie Borden. To replicate the way that stuff would affect a person's eyes, Lizzie, sorry, Elizabeth Montgomery, used drops of the sort an ophthalmologist puts in when they do a retina test. Even with the low-resolution televisions of the 70s, you could still catch that faraway look, and it is truly haunting. In the 1890s, taking what were then still unregulated drugs, sticking a needle in your arm, was considered more ladylike than having a lady, heaven forbid, smoke a cigarette. And it's those same sexist attitudes about women at the time that ultimately helped Lizzie Borden beat the rap. Nobody could imagine that a woman would commit such a grisly double homicide. Along those same lines, Americans in the Nixon-Ford years had just spent a decade watching the misadventures of the adorable Samantha Stevens on Bewitched. Sure, she might turn you into a frog or summon George Washington out of the past, but she never came close to murdering anybody. Those eight seasons of Goodwill made Elizabeth Montgomery even more perfect for this role as Lizzie, because we're already programmed with reasonable doubt. We think, Sam would never murder her parents, would she? No, of course not. Although as an aside, if Andorra turned up dead, the cops would have been wise to take a good hard look at Darren Stevens. That woman just put him through hell. Elizabeth Montgomery in this role is quite different from Jack Nicholson playing Jack Torrance in The Shining. Stanley Kubrick disappointed Stephen King, who wrote the novel version of The Shining, of course. King designed the Jack Torrance in the book to be an everyman character who is slowly driven mad by whatever it is that lives in the Overlook Hotel. King said, As soon as you saw Jack Nicholson... You already thought he was insane, because viewers already had his portrayal of Randall Patrick McMurphy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest fresh in their mind's eye. On his website, William Bass described how this project came together. Quote, in 1974, I wrote an original two-hour movie of the week, as they were then called, The Legend of Lizzie Borden. Bless her. The dearly loved and achingly missed Elizabeth Montgomery read my script and agreed to star, along with the marvelous Catherine Hellman and a dream cast including Fianula Flanagan, Fritz Weaver, and Ed Flanders. 
the film received Emmy nominations for editing and music, as well as a Golden Globe Award nomination for Best TV Film in 1976. It also won me the Mystery Writers of America's Edgar Allan Poe Award for my script. Well, those awards speak to the quality of the production. But what would a historian have to say? I asked Cara Robertson just that question when we discussed her book, The Trial of Lizzie Borden, A True Story. Cara's book has a lot to say about what we do know and think we know about the 1892 murders and the trial of the century of the week that followed. Here's our discussion about portrayals of Lizzie in Hollywood and why this version, in her judgment, is a favorite compared to the many others, such as the 2015 TV miniseries, The Lizzie Borden Chronicles, starring Christina Ricci. We've had things like In Search Of, and there's all of these documentary-type things that are out there. There's endless novels that fictionalize the story. She even appeared in The Simpsons at one point, a version of <laughs> Lizzie Borden did. Yeah, that's my favorite. She's the poor woman <laughs> of the jury of the damned. Yeah. <laughs> the most infamous, yeah. She has yeah. she has a speaking role. So from the beyond, she's able to strike a blow for a quality that didn't exist at the time. But in those portrayals, what do you find best? And I don't just mean physically. Who do you think is best, the portrayal? Who was fairest and who took the most poetic license? Well, I, I like that uh, TV movie that Elizabeth Montgomery was in. And she plays her as a kind of a blank person. Uh, and there's a way in which we all, and certainly people at the time, project onto this figure of Lizzie Borden. And Lizzie Borden, it should be noted, seems to understand what's going on enough to dress the part. She dresses with care every day for court and arranges her hair and presents as this, you know, what they would have called a lady, because she's aware that that makes a difference to how she's seen by the jury. I kind of enjoy the blankness is what the what I would call it of of Montgomery's performance because it allows the viewer to decide for themselves until the very end. That judgment is high praise from Carr Robertson, who brought a lawyer's eye to this very cold case. She dug through transcripts of the proceedings, newspaper accounts, unpublished recollections of citizens in Fall River, Massachusetts and recently unearthed letters from Lizzie herself. With all that, she brought readers a meticulous breakdown of the deeply held convictions, assumptions, and social anxieties of the 19th century's twilight. And I have to say, it's a very tight, swiftly written book, so you're not getting a giant tome on Lizzie Borden. You're getting the important facts, and it was really an interesting read. As for Elizabeth Montgomery... One fascinating bit of synergy comes courtesy of genealogist Rhonda R. McClure's 2003 book, Finding Your Famous and Infamous Ancestors. She discovered that Montgomery and Lizzie Borden were sixth cousins once removed, sharing a common ancestor. That was a 17th century Massachusetts man named John Luther. McClure, like the rest of us, couldn't help but, quote, Wonder how Elizabeth would have felt if she knew she was playing her own cousin. Ah, but according to Herbie J. Pilato's book, 
Twitch Upon a Star, The Bewitched Life and Career of Elizabeth Montgomery, entertainment historian Thomas McCartney says she did learn of the family connection years after playing the role. He said, quote, she was bemused by the idea, but never said anything else. Oh, that sort of thing is just the worst for curious historians. And yet it's amusing that, like her character, the actor kept her true feelings hidden behind those expressive green eyes. Hollywood, of course, doesn't like loose ends, and the legend of Lizzie Borden can't help showing flashbacks of our gal committing the murders. But to Bast's credit, he leaves the fictional resolution as unclear as the real-life one in Fall River. Was Lizzie reminiscing about actual events, or just daydreaming about how she would have slain her parents? Ambiguity is a common feature in life, and we don't get enough of it in films as far as I'm concerned. We've been trained to want everything wrapped up in a nice, neat little package, letting us leave the theater or turn off the channel with all our questions answered. It's the reason why Sopranos creator David Chase is going to get asked what happened to the Russian until the day he dies. But I don't mind if a film leaves me thinking, speculating a little, and wanting to dig more into the real history of events in the period. It's impossible to tell the story of Lizzie Borden faithfully, with all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, which is why I really appreciate the ambiguous end to the trial of Lizzie Borden. One common mistake that the movie makes is the banner headline in the newspaper. Back in the 1800s, they just didn't have typeface that big. You could see it here in the original Fall River Daily Evening News report on Lizzie's trial, that's what a front page of the newspaper would have looked like. But I understand this choice. Again, even though it takes me out of the moment, I realize that in 1975, a lot of us would have been watching this made-for-TV movie on tiny little screens, and they had to make sure we saw exactly what they were saying. But since we're talking about accuracy, I figured I would point it out for you. And these protest signs were straight out of the marches of the disco era a time when Hollywood signs somehow all look the same in every single movie. You can even see them here in this one from 1970s Beneath the Planet of the Apes. They simply weren't the way Victorian suffragists would have fought that mean old patriarchy. Or how women would have pushed for things like the temperance movement, where they sought to ban alcohol. Of course, we all know how that worked out in Prohibition. Signs go back to ancient times, but ones like these are about 20 years ahead of where they should be. They're more fitting for the progressive era, when suffragists really got into gear and started demanding the right to vote. Now, I haven't mentioned yet, but I should, how spot-on the costumes are. Notice here, this is a detail I love. The policemen are wearing gray hats. Since we only see photos from this era in black and white, Few people realize that policemen wore different hats depending on the time of year. They would wear dark blue in the winter because dark colors are warmer, they absorb the sun, and they'd wear the lighter ones in summer for the opposite reason. It's a very small detail, and almost nobody would notice it, much less care about it. But I really like that these filmmakers were dedicated enough that they clearly read about this detail and cared enough to get it right because the trial indeed does take place in summer. 
This faithful, nuanced portrayal is helped by the way they dressed Elizabeth Montgomery. And in fact, one of the dresses she wore earned a place of honor at the Lizzie Borden House, which is today a bed and breakfast museum, meaning you can spend the night and examine the crime scene for yourself. Gosh, I just love when a historic building is still there and preserved as it was at the time. There's nothing like being able to walk the actual floorboards where your subjects lived. So if you want the facts and informed speculation behind the legend of Lizzie Borden, the Lizzie Borden house is a great place to start. And again, I do recommend Cara Robertson's The Trial of Lizzie Borden, as well as our History Author Show interview about the book. And if you have an opinion on Lizzie's guilt or innocence, you can cast your vote at her website, trialoflizzieborden.com. Well, it's time to get some fresh ice and refill my bourbon. Thanks so much for watching History Author Showtime. Now go read a book. Go read a book.